Good morning, Lebanon. Good to see you this morning. So glad uh, to be in the midst of the people of God. Who, uh, man, these songs that we've been singing, we know who we are, don't we? We know who we are. We belong to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We belong to Jesus. And we know what our purpose is it's to surrender over and over and over again to His will so that God can be glorified, that Jesus Christ can be lifted up. Because He is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the one who's given us life. And that's why we're here this morning. We're here so that we can be his people and we can testify to Christ's amazing grace, his transforming love, and his saving power. And we don't testify here. We testify out there. We don't testify here. We testify out there. Here, we come under the grace and the, the power of Christ. And we reaffirm that I don't belong to myself. I belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who loved me and gave himself for me. The one who knew no sin became sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God. That's who we are. Amen? Amen. Now, the world is making it increasingly more difficult, increasingly more difficult to keep the junk of the world out of the church, to keep us not being transformed by the power of God, but being conformed to what's happening in the society. As I read the scripture, we are to be a light, a city set on a hill. Why? Because we're called to testify to God's wondrous work because God is the life changer. We're not the life changers. Our lives have been changed by Christ. So it's really so much more significant day by day to understand who we are and why we gather in this place. And so I'd like to turn to Revelation chapter 2, verse 18. And this is a word to the church in Thyatira, but it's also a word for the church in Greenwood. Lord, your word is powerful. Your word is like a double-edged sword. And we've come today. We've come for you to transform our hearts. We don't want to be the same today when we walk out that door. We want you to touch our heart. We believe that the Holy Spirit is the one who takes the things of Jesus and of your kingdom and somehow gets it into us so that we understand the importance of being changed and transformed so that we can be a light to the nations 
and Jesus can live his life in us. Lord, as we come to your powerful, life-transforming word today, we ask you to change us, transform us. Let your word dwell richly in our hearts so that Jesus might shine in us and through us. It's a hard word to hear. But it's a word to your church of all time. Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my Father. I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I came across an article from 1996 as I was preparing for this sermon. And it's a column by a writer in Newsweek. And he says, A category of small business is being subjected to injurious regulation in New York City. That city is disrupting the free market by burdening with the intent to discourage a form of commerce involving a legal commodity. The mayor is doing this because he disapproves of the practice of supplying this particular commodity for which there is a demand. Furthermore, the city government wants to shape 
the social climate of neighborhoods by purging this commerce from most of the places where market forces have produced it. And he continued, the commodity is pornography and other adult entertainment. And in regards to the stand that New York took in 1996, the author of this article says, a substantial amount of the recent decline in the nation's crime occurred in New York City. Can you believe that? Which has not increased the number of police. What has increased is intolerance, which can be a virtue. The mayor understands that there is simply no such thing as a minor crime because all crime breeds disorder, which is an infectious social disease. Now, that phrase caught my attention. What has increased is intolerance, which can be a virtue. Now, we can truthfully say that things have done a 180. There's a lot of stuff that's increasing in New York, but not intolerance. I'm intrigued by that line. Despite that, one of the things that we hold most dear in America is our capacity to be open and accepting and to be tolerant of others and their views. But are there times when we have to say, enough is enough? Enough is enough. It's time for the church to be intolerant, which is a virtue. Not intolerant of people, not intolerant of loving them, but intolerant of allowing sin to run rampant. I remind you, that the people that are supposed to hear this from God to the angel at the church of Thyatira are the people in the church. The, the Holy Spirit is not speaking to the people in the culture. He's speaking to the people in the church. And he's speaking to us today. Now, we are concerned for people's freedom. We live in the United States of America. And we do affirm that everyone can believe whatever they want to. But that's not true of us who come under the banner of the cross of Jesus Christ. We can't just believe whatever we want to. We are under the banner of Christ's lordship. And so where we go to, to hear what we need to hear so that our lives can be shaped and we can stand firm is the Word of God. Every word that comes forth from the, the mouth of God is infallible. It is powerful. And it is the Word of God that shapes who we are, shapes our convictions, and how we stand. So this is not a word for the society. This is a word 
for us. That our teaching and our preaching and our living and our witness come under the doctrinal purity of Christ. And that's why we're here. We're here to make sure that we understand the good news of the gospel. We're here under the banner of Christ to go out into this world so that we might be a shining light, a city set on a hill in this community, in this county. And to hold our beliefs to those that are not wrong, but those that are blessed by God through His Word. Paul said to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 6.12, 6.14, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. And I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord God Almighty. So that's the situation that was happening in Asia Minor. God was speaking to a church in Thyatira where there was a woman, her name was Jezebel, and that's probably not her real name, Jezebel. However, we know in the Old Testament, Jezebel was kind of like um, uh, a, a protagonist, someone who um, was anti-God, anti-God's desire to see her life shaped by God. She was someone who... Uh, lived her life by gods and idolatry of the culture. Now, Thyatira was not a particularly important city for any reason other than its location. It was situated in a long valley, and it was connected by two rivers, and thus it did a lot of commerce. And so people that wanted to have commerce gathered there. There were tradesmen there. And it stood right in the way of any invading army that wanted to go to the capital city of Pergamum, which was about 40 miles northwest. Thyatira could not defend itself because the valley was open. However, they were there. And so if an enemy came through the valley to go to Pergamum, the capital, then they got in their way. It had a history of regular destruction. 
It was rebuilt regularly over and over again throughout history. And the, the one that conquered it rebuilt it and put the sign and seal of that conquering nation's government upon them. About the only thing in which Thyatira could take pride was the business that it did. And it did a lot. It was a great center for woolen and linen trades. You remember from Philippi, um, there was a woman whose name was Lydia. She was the seller of purple, and she dyed things. And so uh, that's the kind of tradesmen that were present there in Thyatira. So it had a history of other governments coming in and With them came all kinds of religious uh, beliefs and practices. And one of the offshoots of these businesses was the guild, the trade guilds. More than any other city in Asia Minor, they had trade guilds. It was a union town. And so in many ways, it was a closed shop town. It was like Detroit in its heyday of the United States auto workers or Pittsburgh with the steel workers union. If you wanted to do any business in Thyatira, then you had better be a member of the guild. If you weren't, it was too bad. The city had no special religious significance, as in every town there was a local deity. Terimnos was the deity in Thyatira. And Terimnos was the deity that they worshipped and was supposed to provide protection. But in general, religion was a, a laissez-faire kind of thing in which whatever you wanted, go ahead and be that. And so it was kind of a melting pot. It's much like what we are experiencing in modern America right now. There was a Christian church, but it was very small, and it, it was not very influential. But it was there. Frankly, it wasn't a bad group of people. They enjoyed being with each other. They enjoyed fellowship meals. They enjoyed coming together and worshiping. But in terms of offering their faith publicly, getting the word and the message out of the gospel, that was few and far between. Because it was still dangerous at this time to stand up in Thyatira with all of the other uh, religions that were there and praise God. And so... There were, the bishop had words of praise for them. We see what, what he said. He came together with them, probably on a Sunday morning, and said, Bishop John of the island of Patmos, where he is under persecution in the prison camp, has sent a letter. And here is the letter to you, the little band of believers. And the letter started out in a complimentary way. The Lord said, I know your works. I see 
your loving. I see your faith. I see your acts of service. I see your patient and your enduring. I know that your last works are greater than your first. Now, what a wonderful thing for that little church to hear. They were genuinely moving forward. They were showing the love of Christ in tangible ways to the community in Thyatira. They were looking to the needs of the community, and they were probably sponsoring things that really helped other people. Best of all, they were getting it better. In Christ's words, Thyatira, you're making some progress. I encourage you. These folks were forging ahead, but that in itself created a difficulty. They had become so interested in climbing new heights that they had forgotten what flag that God wanted them to plant at the summit. So needless to say, the Lord could not let that go unnoticed. So in essence, Jesus is saying to the church at Thyatira, all of those things are wonderful. But I put you here to plant a flag. I put you here so that you might not forget that you are here to testify to my work. You are to testify to the gospel. And you are to be a light to these nations. So the Lord says, I have this against you. You tolerate this woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet and is teaching and beguiling my service to practice fornication and to eat food sacrificed to idols. Now these folks have become so loving, so accepting, so tolerant that they had not been able to bring themselves to challenge one of their own number who was teaching clear heresy. I hear the heresy all the time in the church. I know the Bible says this, but we are to love our neighbor. I ran into someone this past week, and they said, I know that the Bible says that fornication and homosexuality and adultery are sin. But my grandchild is involved with that. And so I don't want to be intolerant and unloving. And so I am just going to have to let it go and I'm going to have to bless it. That's where we are in our culture, right? That the church either conforms to what the culture says or we stand firm on God's word. Now, I am not for one second saying that, for instance, if I was sinning and you came and said, Bruce, you're sinning, 
that has nothing to do with whether you love me or not. As a matter of fact, if I'm sinning and you don't tell me, you're not loving me. You're not loving me. Love has nothing to do Whether I love a person or not has nothing to do with whether I share the truth with them. If I don't share the truth with them, how much do I love them? If I see someone running and I know they're going to fall off a cliff and I don't reach out to tell them and share with them the good news of how they can get back on the road, how much do I really love them? I preached a sermon similar to this probably about 20 years ago, and three families left the congregation because they said that what I was saying was that if they love someone who is sinning that, and, I, and they're not being intolerant with them, right? And when I said that intolerance can be a virtue, right? Intolerance can be a virtue. It's time to be virtuous and it's time for the church to be intolerant because people are sucking on all kinds of things that do not bring peace to their hearts. They're participating in things that don't bring peace to their hearts. And the church, the church of Jesus Christ has been split today because of various issues from God's Word. I believe that what the Spirit is saying to the church at Thyatira is, take a look and see, and make sure you are all on the narrow road together. Make sure that you hold to the Word of God, and that you're allowing it to transform your life, first and foremost. Number one, that you hear it, that you allow the word to be applied to your heart, that you confess your sin, that you stay focused on Christ's redemptive love, and that you walk in that love, that you walk in that truth. Jezebel became the most hated woman of the Old Testament. She was the Lady Macbeth of the Bible, she turned Israel against God and no one would name their girl Jezebel. But the name became synonymous with evil and for the Lord to call a teacher in his church Jezebel is a clear indication of God's disgust. That's the real Jezebel. But what God is saying is, there is a Jezebel in the church in Thyatira. And what makes her so disgusting is that she was counseling compromise. To these Thyatirans whose livelihoods were so dependent on the union membership, she was saying, don't worry about that. And here's what was happening. She said, go into the guild hall. And don't worry that the dinners begin and end with a cup of wine poured out as an offering to a pagan deity. Don't worry that the meat that is eaten is first presented as an offering to an idol. 
Don't worry about that. Don't worry about the drunkenness and the carousing and the tempting sweeties that are the after-dinner entertainment. After all, you are saved by grace. You're not saved by what you do or don't do, right? That's what Jezebel was saying. Don't worry about that. It's really okay. It's an appealing message, particularly to people whose security and livelihood are so tied up in their unions, so tied up in the money that they're making. After all, to resign the membership or to refuse to participate in the ceremonies could be commercial suicide. These Christians could be faced with bankruptcy, with poverty. We've got to live, don't we? It did not seem like an appealing choice. Today we have a, a young man who on a subway reaches out and does what is right to protect the other people that were on the subway. And he stood up in a sense for righteousness. There are people who are coming forward in government agencies, and they call them whistleblowers, and saying, this is not right. This is the truth. This is what is happening. And what's happening to them? They're being ostracized. They're losing their jobs. And I'm sharing that as an example that what if that would happen to us, to one of us, that simply by sharing the gospel and telling people what the truth is, that we would be ostracized, that we would lose our livelihood, that we would be out on the street. Young people in our society today are being told, go along with the crowd. The suicide rate in young people has escalated because young people are trying to find something that, that they can stake their lives on, something that feels grounded and that anchors them. Drugs and sex and alcohol. And if a young person, I talked to a young person a couple of weeks ago, said in school that if they don't go along with that, then they are literally ostracized. They're ostracized. And they don't have a group there that stands up. To refuse is to be excluded. People in business live and die by the almighty bottom line. We've got to live, don't we? Even in the church, in the church of Jesus Christ, if you stand up and say, I don't believe that, I, don't, I am not going to go along with that, and you say, I want to anchor my faith in Jesus Christ and in the Word of God alone, then you are cast aside.
I would like to say today that compromise never was and is not what the Lord can tolerate. God does not tolerate compromise. To the church at Thyatira, he made it abundantly clear. Listen to what he said. Behold, I'm throwing Jezebel on a bed, and those who commit adultery with her I'm throwing into great distress unless they repent of their doings, and I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am the one who searches minds and hearts, and I will give to each of you as your works deserve. Now I submit to you that is harsh language. That is harsh language. The Lord's message was that sin has consequences. Sometimes even physical consequences. Compromise is unacceptable. Blind tolerance is intolerable. To blindly tolerate what is happening in our society is intolerable for us as believers. And this is pretty sad that Jesus, who opens this up and says, you're doing a lot of good things, has to say this to the church that is doing so well. But it's a message that bears repeating through the centuries. It bore repeating thousands of years ago in the church when it became so politicized that in the name of Christ, it became aligned with princes and kings and international land grabs. Years ago, when the leaders of the church became so concerned about their own personal power and prosperity that a reformation was set off. When the church in Nazi Germany allowed itself to be used to further the demonic aims of a madman. And now in our society today, Pick a topic, pick a subject. It's happening all over again. And the church is being asked to stand up, to exercise our standards of faith because compromising the standards cannot be tolerated. It was happening all over Asia Minor. The church in Ephesus. Paul says, root out the heresies that are there. Read Corinthians. Heresy, heresy, heresy. Coming into the church. I'm not preaching this message. I hope you don't think I'm preaching this message because I think that there's a particular Jezebel among us. I'm not. I'll put that to rest. I'm preaching this message because I need to hear it. I need to be stirred in my own heart to realize that the church, it's time to take a stand. It's time to stand up because there are going to be so many church buildings that are going to be closing in the next 10 years. And they're not small churches, they're large churches. I talk to pastor friends all over the country And they're saying, I can't wait for that church to get opened. It's huge. We're going to buy it. I say today, the churches that are growing, 
that are effective are the churches that do not compromise God's truth and stay anchored that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and that we are to, we are to live our lives by His authority and His purpose for our lives. I can truthfully say through my almost 50 years of ministry, one of the messages that uh, I heard coming from congregations over and over again is, don't rock the boat. Don't rock the boat. Our pastor better not rock the boat. And it's a common trap. It really is. Every congregation faces the attitude Let's not make anybody mad. It's better not to risk antagonizing anybody. We don't want to split the church. That's why the Thyatirans did not confront this woman, Jezebel. Why is it that the Holy Spirit had to come with a punch and talk to the church? Because they didn't confront Jezebel. They didn't do anything. Now, I have a lot of empathy because as I grew up, I grew up in a congregation where it was kind of like, it's better if you don't open your trap because somebody's going to stick something in it, right? It's better just to be on the fringes. It's better not... Anybody to know where you are or what you believe, don't take a stand. I'll tell you, I grew up, tolerance was a part of me. Tolerance was a part of the congregation that I grew up in. It went against my parents' grain to challenge anyone on what they believed. They would sit there and shut their mouth rather than challenge people. And I agree that freedom of conscience is a national treasure. I don't believe that God is challenging the church at Thyatira so that we all run out these doors and get up in people's faces and say, you're a jerk, why are you doing this? I think it's to remind us, we're a city set on a hill, that our assignment from God is when we gather together, is to go deeper into God's Word. It's to allow Christ to have more of us and to surrender. It's to realize that we are the city set on the hill. We are the beacon, and that's why we are here. It's to keep shining so that when God wants to touch somebody's heart, He has a place to send them so that they can see God's light in action. That's it. This is, this is forcing me to ask myself the question, am I standing firm on the principles and the promises of the Word of God in my own life? Am I willing to testify to that wherever I am? I'm not talking about going out there and fighting groups that don't believe what I do. I'm not talking about that at all. I'm talking about the fact that God is working and wants to do something. And we as Lebanon get to be his hands and his feet if we continue 
to share the good news of the gospel. Someone once said, we become paralyzed when too great a concern for tolerance takes hold. Our witness as a church neither comforts the afflicted nor afflicts the comfortable when we do that. The church's very reason for existence is called into question. Instead of being salt and light for the world, instead of reaching out to those around it with the word of the gospel, instead of trying to meet people's needs, whoever they are and whatever they might be, we become a private lodge whose only aim is the pleasure of our members. But the good news is, Jesus Christ is alive. Next week, we celebrate Pentecost in the church. The good news is, when these group of followers came together, and they didn't even have a church, not, they didn't have a building, God, the Holy Spirit, came upon them and made them witnesses to the uttermost parts of the earth, beginning here and extending and going to the uttermost parts of the earth. Witnesses to the good news of the gospel that in Jesus Christ we are forgiven by a God who is gracious and merciful. It is God alone that forgives us. And then he cleans us up. We're not testifying to the fact that we're better than you. I'm more like Martin Luther where Martin Luther said, I read the word of God. This is what it says. This is who I am. This is who I'm going to be. Here I stand. I can't do anything else. Here I stand. I can do no other. And that's my response to what's going on in our society when there's compromise. Here I stand. I can't do anything else. But I'm not going to stay in the building. I'm going out there. I'm going out there with the good news of the gospel. I'm going to stand firm. And wherever God wants me to share it, wherever God wants me to proclaim it, whoever God wants me to love, that's where I'm going to be. And what I'm saying today is, let's plant that flag because that's who God wants us to be. Small is mighty. When God's Holy Spirit is involved, none of us has lit the flame. None of us. We are the candles, and God lights us, and that's the only way that we burn. He lights us. So I say, let's stand up. Let's stand firm. Let's not compromise. Let's be intolerant of ourselves finding any other way to find the way, the truth, and the life than Jesus Christ. I want to be intolerant of that. I want to love people, but I want to be clear that there is a wide path that leads to destruction and there is a narrow path that leads to life. The church at Thyatira could have been a great one. 
It could have been a powerful one. It was loving. It was caring. The fellowship was wonderful. But it became too concerned about rocking the boat. It became too concerned about fitting in. It became too concerned that people may not like them. And so, instead of being transformed, they conformed to society. And they cared more about keeping the peace than testifying to the life-transforming power of the Prince of Peace. Having a peaceable congregation is a wonderful thing, but not when the peace is achieved at the expense of faithfulness and at the expense of planting the flag and flying it so that Christ's light can shine everywhere. Let everyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the church. Let's pray.